Well, good morning. Good to have you guys here today. If you are in Kidmo, you can head on out and uh, join us back in Kidmo. And I'm glad to get to spend some time with you. Has everybody had a good week? Yes, we are a sparse group this morning. We may have to move all everybody up to the front. How's that? How would that feel? Yeah, <laughs> I have a mutiny. Uh, all right, well, we're glad that you've chosen to be with us. Um, before I get started, I want to let you know that um, we've got a couple of things coming up that you need to be aware of, and we hope that you'll be a part of, and that is as our 10th anniversary is coming up on Palm Sunday, March 25th, we're going to be having a ministry fair. Uh, we're going to have a shorter service, and so we can go off to do the ministry fair, and then we're also going to be having lunch together. Um, so it's a great way to plug in, see what's going on. It will be a good morning of worship. Um, that's going to be in about three weeks, so we hope that you'll join us for that. Also, I do want to hear your next stories, and some of you have already shared those with me, and I'm excited to hear those. You can do that very easily um, on our website. You can go to journeychattanooga.com forward slash next, and you can um, just share what God is, is saying to you. Also, within the next week or two, your small group, if you're in a small group, you're going to begin going through a survey or a next questionnaire in which we're going to be talking about what is most meaningful to you here and how do you most feel God, how do you most experience um, what it looks like to really walk with Him, what are we doing well, and how can we continue to do that. So uh, you're going to be doing that in your small groups. You'll be hearing some opportunities also if you're not in a small group to do that, and we hope that you'll take part. Um, in, in those opportunities. Uh, that's going to really fuel a lot of what we do moving forward as a church. All right, let's get started. And uh, if you've got version, you can follow along on version. If you don't, if you've got your Bible, we're going to be primarily in 1 Samuel today, chapter 10, where we've been so far, if this is your first time with us. Uh, we began with this primary idea, this primary goal, and um, understanding how God works in our lives. And that is that God will meet you where you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. So we try as a church to be a place where you can come as you are, no matter what's going on, no matter what's good or bad or, or indifferent, you can come just as you are, you can come looking and dressing however you want to look and dress, and you can be loved and accepted, and we want you to be here. But we recognize that an environment that is focused on coming as you are can sometimes give the impression that it's okay to stay that way. But God never brings us to a place in which to just camp out and to stay. So God will meet you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. That's a founding idea of this whole next process. Also, no matter where you, ha where you are or where you have been, God always has a next for you. A lot of us are on this goal to reach some imaginary plateau of joy in which we have arrived where we're supposed to be and once we get there we can just kind of hang out but that is not the way God works no matter where you are whether it's going well or not so, so well no matter where you've been whether you're excited and about what the decisions you've made and the choices you made in life or not there's always a next so right now if you're living the dream understand God is already forming a next for you if you're nowhere close to living the dream Understand God still is working on your next. No matter where you are, where you've been, God always has a next for you. What we talked about last week was that God will give you a dream that fulfills two greats, the great commission and the great commandments. 
Because God wants your dream to affect the world positively. And whenever we start talking about God-sized dreams, a lot of times we immediately begin dreaming about, well, what do I want for my life? But God's dream always involves others. And when God's dream involves others, then that means that we are going to have to involve in some way the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. The Great Commission to go out and tell people about Christ and the Great Commandments, or that's the Great Commission, the Great Commandments, to love God with everything and then also to love others more than we love ourselves. So if you missed that last week, I hope you'll go listen to that online because that is a crucial concept of piecing together what God wants to do and informing and fashioning His dream for you. There are lots of dreams we can have. Some of the dreams I have for my life are 100% mine. God had nothing to do with them. Now, whether or not I I actually achieve those dreams, maybe they will, maybe they won't happen. But the dreams that God gives involves others, and He will make those come to pass as we follow Him. What I want to share with you today are what happens when we believe we know the dream, but the dream is not happening. What happens when we've got it out there and we know what we think God is saying to us, but it just doesn't look like it's going to come to pass? And this uncomfortable truth that God will usually make you wait before he fulfills his dream through you. Now, how many people here like to wait? Very few. Most of us are in a hurry. We want things to happen right away. You know, one of the things in technology that I think is destroying relationships is this need and requirement for instant communication do you ever get those emails and go you know what i better not open that because they're going to get a read receipt and know i've opened it and i'm not ready to reply to them yet you know i think those read receipts i turn them off on my on my stuff because sometimes you need to think about a response and not just immediately respond sometimes my immediate response is not all that positive i know i'm probably alone in that Sometimes i got to think about it, and it drives me nuts because I know some people that, that email me and text me, I know they're sitting there waiting. You know, they're waiting for those three little bubbles. If you're, uh, if you're an iPhone user, oh, he's looking at it. Why isn't he responding? I've asked him a direct question. Why is he not responding? And sometimes I haven't seen it, but sometimes I need to think about it. We don't like to wait. We're in a culture that says you need to have everything right now immediately, And yet what we find in the way that God works is that God will usually, maybe not always, but most of the time, is going to make you wait, and that does not feel good. So I want us to talk through that today and and look at a story in Scripture of someone who couldn't wait and had devastating consequences in their lives. So if you've got your Bibles or if you're on version, 1 Samuel chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, we're going to be looking at Saul, Saul's early, early time as king. He is, we're, we're looking at a time when he just becomes king. And if you know the story, if you followed us through our David series last year, you know that Saul was God's chosen. And God intended for his chosen, for their lineage to be on the throne all the way through Christ. So Saul's lineage could have been on the throne all the way through Christ, but Saul messed up and he lost it. And that's where David came into the picture. And so the lineage of Christ came through David, did not come through Saul. I want you to see what happened in Saul's life. And I'll be honest, as much as we look at Saul and think, Saul, you were such an idiot. 
I see so much of myself in that, so I can say the same thing about myself. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 10. We're going to be looking at several different places in uh, this chapter and the next uh, couple of chapters. And so I want you to follow along with me. Verse 1, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over the people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. This is the literal coronation of Saul. I want you to see how close these events happen to him taking the kingship. Now, just for a little background, so you know what's kind of happening, because context is everything when we get into Scripture, we have to understand what's going on around the event, not just the event itself, because usually the context changes the way we understand that event. At this time, God, if you will remember, never wanted Israel to have a king. He never wanted him to have a king. Up until this moment, he had been speaking to them through prophets, and he had intended to lead them through prophets until it was the time for Jesus to come. But what began to happen, as all things tend to happen within nations, as they are butting up against their neighbors and the quest for power and the quest for dominance, the quest to overtake other people's lands, Israel kept suffering with going to war with its surrounding neighbors. And one of those primary neighbors were the Philistines that they literally are, have been struggling with for generations and are going to continue to struggle with long after Saul is dead. But in this time, they cry out and they say, we need a king. All these other nations that are subjugating us, they have kings. All these other people who are doing well, they have kings. God, you need to give us a king. And through Samuel, God says, you don't need a king. You just need to listen to me and you just need to follow me and I will take you where you need to go. But they continued to cry out. So God said, fine. And he told Samuel to go out. I've chosen somebody. You're going to anoint them as king. And then this happens. Now what I want you to see from from this in chapter 2 is that this is what Samuel says is the promise of God within his life. Or excuse me, and yeah, verse 2 it says, "You shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies." Now, when God says this is going to happen, that means this is going to happen, okay? God is making a promise to Saul right now, I am making you king, and you are going to defeat the Philistines. Now, if you truly trusted that God is going to do what he says he's going to do, you kind of breathe a sigh of relief. You you understand if you've lived any amount of life, there may be some pain and difficulty and suffering in the fulfillment of the dream, but at the same time, the dream is going to come together. God has promised it. And so that's where we enter into our story, is a new king with a promise from God and a nation who is saying, please just deliver us from the Philistines, and Saul becomes their king. Now, what we're going to find throughout this story is that the Philistines really didn't have a problem with Israel until Israel started pushing back against the way that they were leading in that area of the world when they began to push back and say we don't want to be controlled by you we don't want to just be some kind of pocket kingdom for you we want to be our own people and we want to be the conquerors not the conquered then the philistines begin to push back 
Now, there's no army in Israel at this time. Every time there's been a skirmish, basically the word would go out and a militia would be formed and they would say, okay, we've got a problem. We need to go deal with it. Who's able? And then they would bring all those able people together and they would go out and they would fight in whatever the skirmish or battle or war was at the time. And then when it ended, they all just went back home and just lived their lives. Now, when a king comes in, that begins to change. Let's pick up in, the, in uh, verse 2 again. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you. This is verse 1. Anointed you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Verse 2. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you saying, what shall I do about my son? Now, that seems like a really kind of crazy code for God to communicate with Saul. But just so you understand what's happening here, Samuel is saying to Saul from God, I'm going to deliver you from the hands of your oppressors. Now, as you go, you're going to see some pretty crazy things that are going to confirm that God is at work in your life. And one of them is you're going to meet some people that are going to say some crazy stuff to you. Verse 3, then you shall go on from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine, and they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. This is getting a little creepy, isn't it? If this was you going on this trip, and I said, listen, you're going to go on this trip and all these things are going to happen, you'd be like, this is so weird. This is so weird. But God is showing him, you can trust me. I am in this. I'm going to make this happen. Verse 5, after that you shall come to, to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of Philistines, and there as soon as you come up to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Boy, our culture would understand this verse very differently than they did back then. But the point is, God is showing him, I'm with you. I'm with you. Verse 7, now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. In other words, you should be empowered and encouraged that I am with you, then go out and do what needs to be done. Now, this is a pretty fantastic way to come into a new job, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to start a new job like this and, and for, for you know, a preacher or somebody to come alongside of you and say, okay, God is with you and you are going to rock this job. Not only that, over the next couple of weeks, some crazy things are going to happen just to prove that God is with you. And then whenever, you know, you, once you've got your confidence and you know God is with you, just hit it hard and everything's going to turn out exactly right. That's literally how he's starting out his first year as king. Now, you would hope that as someone that receives that kind of confirmation from God, that they would be right on par with what God was going to do. And the truth is, is that Saul constantly struggled. But before we get into that, what I want you to see in just this part of 1 Samuel is that God will, when he gives you his dream, God will verify 
His dream within you. Now, we've been talking about dreaming God's dream, which is different from dreaming our own dreams. Our own dreams are about me, myself, and I. My own dreams about, are about what's going to benefit me, and if it benefits you as you know, kind of a byproduct, then great. But if it doesn't, I'm okay with that because my dream is really about me. Most of us, if we're honest, and we really were to write out our dreams for our lives, our dreams for most of us are about ourselves. But God has never, ever given a dream to someone to say, you know what, this is all about you. In fact, Jesus, who it should be all about him, constantly said, you know what? It's not even about me. And over and over and over, he tried to push the direction of the apostles out saying, life and God's work in us is about the entire community, the entire kingdom, not just about our individual lives. And so anytime we focus our faith and our attention only on what it does for us, We miss out on what God wants to do within us because God is not just working in us, but is working in the whole world. And so his goal, his dream for you is one that's going to push you to think and consider other people. When he does that, he will verify that dream within you. One of the amazing things we have that Saul did not have is the Holy Spirit. Saul did not have the Holy Spirit. People did not receive the Holy Spirit other than a few sprinkling of people. And usually, whenever they received the Holy Spirit, it was so they could make something you know, with their hands that they normally wouldn't be able to make. But we, as followers of Jesus, Jesus promised, if you are going to follow me, you are going to admit your sin, repent from your ways, and recognize that you are in need of me as a Savior. You invite me into your heart, then you will be saved, and I will send another helper to be with you that will live within you, the Holy Spirit. This is why we spent so much time on the Holy Spirit this last year, is because if you are not living your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are missing what it looks like to live your life following Jesus. So in Saul, in this moment, he doesn't have that. And these confirmations are these people showing up like, you know, i got some goats and here's some bread. I don't know why I'm supposed to give this to you. You know, usually you go out somewhere, hand you some food to eat, and you don't know them. Where does that food end up? In the trash, unless it's like really good food and looks really good, then you might give it a shot. But most of the time, if somebody off the street says, hey, man, i got some food for you. Here you go. See ya. I, it's going in the trash. It's not going in my body. I don't know what's in that. But we have the Holy Spirit within us. God confirms his dream because God is not just giving you the dream because he thinks, you know what, this will be fun. This will be fun. Let's just see how this turns out. But instead, God wants to accomplish something in the world through you. He confirms his dream just as he did with Saul. One of the things that should happen is that God's dream should will encourage will inspire courage within you one of the things that i learned early on in my faith was that if i was trying something because i thought it was a good idea i did not have near the confidence than when i felt confident this is what god was saying when you know god is saying something and whether it be because you've read it in scripture or whether it is because god has given you a dream you have a courage you don't normally have You have a confidence you don't normally have because there's an authority directing you that doesn't normally direct you. And so God's dream is going to show you things and is going to inspire within you in ways that you may never have experienced before. That should be what's happening with Saul. If we go back to verse 8, 
it says this is this is where things begin to go south which remember this is just at the coronation of saul this is right at the beginning he's not even gotten started yet verse 8 says then go down before me to gilgal and behold i am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings seven days you shall what's that word wait i hate that word i hate that word until i come to you and show you what you shall do now let's just recap if you don't already see yourself in this then just wait it's coming because in the recap god has given him a dream god has given him the authority god has given him encouragement god has verified the dream and now he is saying go out and do what you feel you should do but when you go to this place you need to wait for seven days until i get there now we need to go back and remember the environment the environment is not neutral the environment is hostile the philistines are angry with the israelites the philistines want to destroy the israelites this is exactly why the people cried out for a king to protect them from the philistines and so now that they have Saul, they're like Saul. it's time to get to work now, we can't imagine the kind of pressure that Saul had to have been feeling. An entire nation have cried out to him. God is apparently empowering him. And now through him, the entire nation of Israel is supposed to be delivered from an opposing force that is much greater than their own. And so as he goes down to Gilgal, Philistines are pushing in, forming their army, ready to destroy them. See, with God's dream will almost always involve risk. And as we take that risk, we begin to trust and our faith is necessary to see God continue working within us in that dream. An uncomfortable truth that you and I have to deal with if we're going to follow God is that God's timeline will probably not be your timeline. You will have to wait. I don't like that truth. I call it an uncomfortable truth because I don't like to wait. If I go and sit down and eat, I don't, I don't like to wait for my food. I don't know about you, but I like well, every time somebody walks out with food, and, mm, is, that, is that what we ordered? Is that ours? No, that's not ours. Whenever I get a big idea that I want to go try and it's going to take a few steps in order to get there, it, I get frustrated immediately because I want to go right there. I want to get it done. One of the things I don't particularly like to do are all the little detail pieces. That's why, you know, I drive some of you admin people crazy because I'm not great with details. I see this big picture of what we can do and go after and Let's go after it. And then everybody comes in and says, oh, we've got to do all these other things first. Oh, no, 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 no. That takes too long. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. One thing that we are going to have to develop, and this is one of the reasons that Scripture says that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. We actually, we, we literally need the Holy Spirit to give us patience. I, you know, whenever I was an early believer, you know, we would talk about, oh, I'm praying for patience. And then our older, wiser friends would be like, you're not real smart, are you? You never, you never tried that before, have you? Because, you know, the way that, that God builds patience in you is He just makes you frustrated all the time. Yeah. 
And so whenever you say, God, I'm just going to pray for patience. Okay, well, I'm going to make sure nothing works according to plan. <laughs> ah, that's not what I wanted, God. Well, you wanted patience. This is one of the reasons that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Because we need the Holy Spirit to give us that patience. Because you and I, as much as we want to think we grow out of that, you know, when we're kids and we want, you know, first-hand motion you learn, give me, give me, give me. I want it, I want it. No, you got to wait. Wah! It's the way it is at our house. It may not be at your house. That's the way it is at our house. As much as we want to think as adults that we're better than that and we're more patient than that, in and of ourselves, we are not. We all want things immediately. It's one of the reasons that debt is such a problem for so many people, right? Well, let's see. Now, I can set aside about $20 a week for the next 6,000 weeks, and we can get there, and I can pay cash for this. Or I just got a call from a friendly person who says they will loan me the money to go get it now for just a small monthly interest rate of 25%. I can have it now. That's why most of our consumer debt is where it's at. Sometimes something happens, car breaks down, can't get to work. If you can't get to work, you can't get a paycheck. You got to get the car fixed. But a lot of times it's because we're not willing to wait for an appropriate time when we can get it in a healthy way. And so that $5,000 item, by the time you pay off your credit card, has cost you $7,500 or more. But we can't wait. I've got to have it. I see it. It's pretty. It's blingy. I want it. See, God is constantly trying to teach you and I to wait, not just for the sake of waiting, but waiting for Him to show up and work. The reason we don't like that is because we like to feel like we can do it on our own. Because we have a lot of pride. And it is safe if I can do it on my own. Have you ever tried to fix your car and it's really the fix is just a little bit beyond your skill set? And you got a buddy that can come help, but they're not available until a week or two. And so there you go. So you decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And then, you know, a couple of trips to the emergency room later and about five times as many parts that you have to fix because you broke all the other ones because you did it wrong, you finally have some semblance of a repair until you finally are thinking, I probably may just need to take it to the dealer <laughs> and get them to fix it. I can't wait. got to have it. i got to have it now. I'm terrible about this, by the way. I'm not... I, I, I'm terrible about this. I hate waiting. God's timeline is probably not going to be your timeline. You will have to wait. But this patience that he's building up within you, it doesn't mean that you have to be inactive. See, one of the things I love about what Samuel said to Saul is, go and then do as you feel that you should. But he says... Once you get there, I want you to wait seven days for me to show up. Now, the reason that he says, I want you to wait seven days for me to show up, is I, I don't know what he has, all he has to do. But he has something else to do. It's going to take him a week to get down and catch up with Saul. But what he has to do when he shows up, the role of the prophet and the priest was they were supposed to show up and they were supposed to give the offerings and the sacrifices that would honor God, that would usher in God's ability to show up and fight with them. So only Samuel could do this. 
No one else could do it. You and I, we don't really understand this because this is not the system that we live in. But at this time, only the priest could do this, and if anybody tried to do it, God would not accept it. And generally, because you were disobedient and having the right people do the right job, God would actually punish you for it. So he says, wait seven days. Now what we're going to find is during that seven days, Saul arrives, he has this semblance of people around him, and the army is amassing, and he's getting stressed out. The risk is getting high. And let's go on back into our story, chapter 13. We're going to jump ahead to chapter 13, verse 1. Saul lived for one year, and he became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin, the rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent." This is the first army. One of the very first things that Saul does is he builds an army that is going to be the royal army. They are going to be the nation's defense. This has never happened before. Verse 3, Jonathan's got 1,000 of them. Saul's got 2,000 of them. 2,000? Yes, 2,000 of them. Saul's got a thousand, or Jonathan's got a thousand. Verse 3 says, Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Jeba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were called out to Saul at Gilgal. So this is where Saul is. It's taken him time to bring this army together. And now that he's there waiting, Jonathan takes his part of the army and attacks the Philistines. Now when he attacks the Philistines, it doesn't have a positive effect on the relationship between the Israelites and the Philistines. Philistines get mad. And what we find throughout Scripture, this is our introduction to Jonathan, is that Jonathan is a very accomplished warrior. He is a a strategic general. He gets the job done. And so he goes out and he kind of stirs the pot. If we look at verse 5, the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. Now remember, how many are in their army at this point? 3,000. The Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen and troops, like the sand on the seashore in multitude, they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, I would say so. You're in pretty bad shape when you're looking at, you know, 3,000 versus 36,000. The people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, still waiting for Samuel. But all the people followed him trembling. Now, if you've ever put yourself in a position of needing to trust God and then he makes you wait, you understand to some degree what Saul's feeling right here like everything's about to fall apart. 
Now, the interesting thing is, is that Saul is such an insecure king, he goes and takes credit for all that Jonathan has done. He doesn't give Jonathan the credit. He sends out the word, hey, you know, Jonathan, he's, he's won this skirmish over here. All of a sudden, Saul is sending out word, tell everybody Saul has defeated them. And we see that throughout Saul's life, that he is constantly insecure, which means he's constantly not trusting God to do what he says he's going to do. That's his problem over and over and over again. It's one of the reasons that God is giving us some of the hardships in life because it teaches us to trust him and stop trusting ourselves. That's what James was saying when he said, count it a joy when you encounter trials and sufferings. Because not that we like trials and sufferings, because he's developing within you a trust in him, which will get you through anything. Saul never quite gets this in his life. And we see it early on in his kingship where he even takes credit for the, what other people have done. But the situation, what's happening is even his 3,000 he's got, they, they're looking around and saying, we're dead ducks here. And so they run, they go to caves, and they're, they're starting to split. Some of them are saying, you know what, there's, we can just we can hop over the Jordan over there and get away. Maybe the Philistines won't follow us. And for Saul, everything he had hoped for, everything he had worked for, everything everyone expected from him was about to fall apart. God's dream will require faith. It's interesting that at this time, this is when the Israelites begin blaming God for their problems, which is really what they do repeatedly, which is probably what we do more than we want to admit as well. And then they begin saying, oh, we wanted a king to save us. And when the king wasn't saving them, they cried out for God in the same fear that they had before they had a king. And you just imagine if, if God was an invict, a vindictive kind of God, he doesn't look down and say, well, I told you. I told you. But he doesn't. Saul's got to develop the faith to move forward. God had showed Saul in some crazy ways, I am with you, this is going to happen. Samuel said, I will be there, you wait on me, and when this happens, then God will be fight for us and you will be victorious. If you're going to begin dreaming God's dream, if your dream doesn't require faith, it is not God's dream because you don't need Him to show up. And God, whenever he gives you a dream, his goal is not simply that the task is accomplished, but that your faith is built up in the process, which means you have to wait on him and see him work and see him do great things. Let's pick up verse 8. So here's Saul waiting on Samuel. He waited seven days, you know, biding his time. Things are falling apart. People are leaving. People are scattered, they're afraid, they don't trust him, they think Saul is about to be killed and crushed along with all of them. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came isn't that how God works? It's, I always, my parents always showed up the moment I did something wrong. They were never there when I did everything right. They were there right when I did the wrong thing. 
And if they weren't there, they had friends and spies throughout our community that would rat me out. I remember one time, I was a, a new driver, and my mom called me, where are you? Were you just at such and such a street light, at such and such a corner of such and such? Did you run that red light? I was like, Mom, what are you talking about? Of course not. Well, I just got a call from, you know, so-and-so, a good friend of our families, and they saw you and said you ran that light. I was like, this world is terrible. I got it. This is awful. I didn't realize, even before we had cameras, there were spies in the world ready to rat me out. It still happens, by the way. It's my, I still get those calls from my mother. I heard from so-and-so that, you know, it still happens. If you think you're going to grow out of it, you're not. Good luck with that. As soon as he offered the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. I just can't imagine he's trying to, he knows. He's just done something against the law. He is not the one to bring the offerings. He cannot do that, but he is stressed out. Things are falling apart. God is not delivering in the timetable that he expected. He didn't like waiting seven days. But here we are at the end of the seventh day and no Samuel. So he decides, I got this. I got this. I can jump ahead. I don't have to wait. I can make this happen right now. I'm looking around at everything that's going on, and I don't know if God is paying attention or if he's off somewhere with Samuel, but things are not going well. And if I don't do something now, it's all going to fall apart as if God was not able to deal with this at this moment. What should be a defining moment of faith building for Saul becomes Saul falling back into a a posture of saying, "I, I got this, I got this. I don't need Samuel. I got this. Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself. When you come to the place in following Christ, that you feel you have to force yourself in front of God, you are about to make a terrible mistake. There is no worse place to be than on the acquisition of a dream that God has given you, that God's got to show up to make happen, and then you push ahead of where He is. Because He will not make it happen. So I forced myself. And offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For when the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. This is the moment. This is the action of forcing himself in front of God in which the kingdom of Saul was going to end. It didn't end right here. There's a a long uh, time of of Saul's reign until he finally dies in battle. But this was the decision that ended his kingship. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal. 
uh, Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. That's all he had left. This is one of the greatest struggles in grasping as you follow Christ into great new adventures. I remember as a teenager and as a young adult, had some really wonderful pastors who built into me the idea that following Christ is an adventure. It's, it's, it's a journey. That's why we name this church Journey. There's a lot of journey churches out there. We're not named because of any of them. It's because life is a journey. It's one of the reasons I keep you know, trying to make life as a highway our theme song, but nobody goes along with me. <laughs> All right, I digress. But life is an adventure. And one of the... I don't think it's as prevalent today as it was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you set out on a path in life, and then that was your life. And if you messed up early on, well, you, then you're messed up for the rest of your life. And it scared me to death. One of the reasons I fought going into ministry for, gosh, literally 10 years had to do with the fact that I was scared to death that I was going to go into the path of ministry and then if it didn't work out well, my life was over. <laughs> it was over. And so what these pastors taught me is following Jesus is not a one-time decision in which you go in that direction and then you're kind of you're out there on your own, but instead it is walking with him day by day and it is an adventure, it is a journey, and it will take you in all different paths as long as you keep your eyes on him and stay with him. But the great temptation we have is to dream up an idyllic future and we're going to make it happen. Even if it doesn't need to happen. Even if you need to go in a different direction. Even if God has something great planned, but you've got to trust Him in, in order for it to come, come about. Waiting is not fun. And when you're in a situation like Saul and things don't look good, Money's tight. Uh, my career growth looks like it's stifled. You know, I don't really know what our next thing is going to be. I don't really have anything exciting to look forward to. We can let looking at the circumstances of our life completely cry out the joy that we get to walk with Him day by day and see Him at work in the world around us. What Saul did was Saul let his circumstances overpower his faith. Here God has already said, I have anointed you king. I am giving you power. We are going to conquer your enemies. You are going to thrive. Just wait for the right time. And at the right time, it's all going to come together, and you are going to look back and go look at what God has done. But that's not what Saul did. Saul said, the time is now. Look at what Saul has done. And he lost his, king, his kingdom over it. Not in this moment. But not a single one of his relatives would sit on his throne when they should have. Saul let his circumstances overpower his faith. Now, true, Samuel waited till the last minute, which you kind of wonder if Samuel did that on purpose. He didn't show up exactly when Saul thought he would, which is the way most dreams of God's 
come about. <laughs> you know, God, this would be a really good time to show up. And then the time passes. His army's running away. He feels like he's a failure. And he feels like I've got to do something now. I do this kind of stuff all the time. Sometimes it's silly stuff. Like, oh, about three years ago, we were, we were I can say it's because none of my family's here today. They've all scattered into other places today. They, some are up in Knoxville with family, and some, some are at visiting another church. That's never good for a pastor's kids to visit another church, but, you know, he's going with someone who has more pull on him than I do at this point, uh, you know what I'm saying? He'll be back. He'll be back, trust me. But, uh, you know, we, we had what some of you struggle with, which, is, which was an invasion of screens in our home, and the most exercised muscle in their bodies were their thumbs. And so, we had the bright idea for one Christmas to get all kinds of outdoor stuff. So, I mean, I don't do anything halfway. I go all the way. And uh, sometimes that's not good, a good trait. Sometimes it's fun. It's definitely fun for other people to watch, but that's not always good for you. But, so we got a basketball goal, and I don't get a, I, you got to get the right kind of goal, right? Amen? You don't go back and buy just a cheap little backboard just because it's got a sticker of a basketball player on it. You got to get the right kind of goal. And, you know, the kids in the neighborhood will not come play basketball if you don't have the right kind of goal, right? You all don't have these problems? All right. Well, it's just me then. So we got a basketball goal and we got a trampoline. We got a couple other things. I can't remember what we did that year. And, and it was for Christmas. And so kids went to bed and then I was going to go put them all together. Now, here's the wise thing to do. The wise thing to do is wait till the next day when the sun's up to do it. Or you could do the unwise thing, and after the kids go to bed and it's dark, decide to go put together about a 500-pound basketball goal that's in lots of different pieces. And I remember that Christmas, finally got into bed, and I'm out there, and, you know, it's, I don't know, 25 degrees outside, but I'm sweating profusely in only a T-shirt. I mean, it is a difficult task. Now, I've got plenty of friends that had I scheduled this, they would have come and helped me. And when you're trying to fit two, you know, 100-pound pieces of pipe together to form the main support of the goal by yourself and not hit anything or break anything, I'm going to tell you it's good that church members don't see a pastor do that. <laughs> because, the church, because the pastor does things that he says you shouldn't do on Sunday mornings, but on Christmas Eve when it's dark with two, you know, 150-pound pieces of pipe, he does things he ought not do. And so to this day, the goal is still not put together right. We've had it about three or four years. It's twisted in ways it's not supposed to be twisted. And some of the pieces have broken off. And some of the pieces did not even make it on. I've got a basket. You, don't, you all don't do this. I do this. I have a basket of pieces. I'll go back and figure out where they were supposed to go, that they didn't go there on the first try. And that basket literally never gets revisited again. So every part I've ever put in the basket still in the basket. I still have the pieces from the goal that have not been properly attached. Had I waited, I wouldn't have that problem. Had I asked my friends to come help me that were better at this stuff than me, I wouldn't have had that problem. Instead, I pressed forward. I was going to make it happen. I've got a million stories like this to tell, especially when I fix my own car. Because I always go through more parts than you're supposed to go through for these fixes. I break things that you should never break when you're fixing these things. 
I felt like at the time, Christmas morning won't be the great thing that it's supposed to be if I don't have this stuff ready for them to jump on the next morning, ready to throw a ball through the hoop the next morning. That was crazy. By the time I I finally was so tired and so hot, and it was was like 2 in the morning, I was trying to put this basketball goal together. It wouldn't fit because I had not noticed that there are little dimples at the end of these massive pipes that were supposed to fit in together. So now I'm beating it at 1 in the morning with a hammer. My kids did not wake up, they say, that uh, they couldn't hear me doing it. But I let my circumstances overwhelm my judgment. This has to happen right now. In church, I see this happening all the time. And as we talk about these new ministries and these new ways God is working in you and drawing you to, the biggest mistake that I see that people have is they run ahead of God and not letting God do the work. Now, there's the opposite problem where God's like, come on, and we're like, yeah, I'll get around to it. So, you know, you can go both ways. And it's just as dangerous to not go with God than it is to try to jump ahead of God. But one of the biggest problems I see in ministry is I I have this dream. It's got to happen. It's got to happen right now. And when it doesn't, they get frustrated and they decide, I'm going to make it happen. This can happen in kids' ministry. This can happen in small groups. This can happen on on, on the worship team. This can happen in um, our tech team. It It can happen... Anywhere it can happen in our outreach. We just we know that this is what needs to happen, and we're just going to make it happen. But when we go ahead of God, we may actually make something happen, but it will pale in comparison to what God was going to do had we waited on Him. And generally, the fallout from that kind of pressing forward no matter what is burnout, frustration, and giving up. I tell the story that when we started Journey 10 years ago, there were about 12 other churches that literally started the same day we did in this city. And a good number of those, all those, all, all of those churches, none of those churches are still here. And that, that is a real shame. But a good number of those pastors, because it didn't, they didn't have a megachurch in, in a year and a half, felt God had abandoned them. And not only did they quit their ministry and end the church, they walked away from the church. Now, a lot of them have come back, and they're attending churches, and some of them have started serving again, and and some of them are on staff at different churches now. But because things didn't happen, and if the goal is a megachurch, by the way, if if this is your first time with us, that's, that's a bad goal. That's a bad goal. Because so you can have a lot of people that know nothing about Jesus in a room. Just, just, just go to a football game or a basketball game. I'm not saying that nobody in the room knows Jesus, but you get the, get the gist. If you try to press ahead of God, you're going to miss out on a lot of what God wants to do. Here's why. God sees your circumstances with better clarity than you do. God sees your challenges. He sees the problems. He sees that people are running. He sees that not everybody's coming alongside to help. He sees that they've got 36,000 people and you've got three. Oh, no, 600. (laughs) He sees that. But see, that's where God works. 
Because it's often when things don't look good that God says, ha, ha, let me show you something. And not only does God's task and his dream become accomplished, our faith soars because we see what only God can do. And I will tell you, as your faith grows, it's amazing, so do the dreams God gives you. If we don't run ahead. You cannot force God's timeline. He was trying to force it. And the result was that Saul lost his kingship during his first battle because he tried to force God's hand. You cannot force God's hand. Now, some of you, I know you're praying for your spouses. I know my my spouse prays for me, and I'm sure she gets frustrated that God doesn't work quicker. (laughs) We cannot force God's hand. We have to wait on him because there's a whole lot of work that he's doing that we don't even see. We don't even know. And we have to wait on him. Let me close with this. So if you're at this place and you're asking, why is God waiting? Number one, one of the reasons is you're not ready. Now, when I say you're not ready, it may be you may not have the actual skills yet to do what God wants you to do. Or it may be your faith is not yet in a place where you can trust God to do what only he can do. Or it may be that you're just, you need to do some growing. Scripture tells us we will need to grow throughout our lives in our faith. And a lot of times we get stuck. I will tell you that if you are not in an intentional process and you don't have intentional disciplines within your life to grow, don't expect God's dream to enter into your life anytime soon. So one of the things we keep pushing in many different ways is understanding that before we hear all these incredible supernatural things of what God wants to do in us and through us, we have to stop and say, are we spending time with Him daily in our own process of growth? Are we spending time in Scripture every day? Are we spending time in prayer and meditation every day? Are we spending time really seeking God and what His voice is within our lives and where we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to live in this world? Or are we telling Him how he ought to be working. See, any statistic, and you know, statistics are, are all flawed, but any statistic out there will say that the average person who says they follow Christ spend no time in Scripture at all in a week. At all. And then we say, God, why will you not give me a dream? Well, you're not interested in what I have to say is I think what God is saying to us. Well, I just don't have time. I'm busy. Okay. But when you get frustrated and say, God, why aren't you doing something? Just understand, because if we're not willing to put the work in to grow, it, God may be waiting because we're not ready yet. And that's not meant to be a guilt trip. That's meant just to be flat out truth. It's just God, if we don't put the time in, don't expect God to circumvent all that that we he's already commanded us to do in order to give us a different command so it may be that you're not ready there's this is often when i look back on my life at times i've waited especially in my ministry and i have not understood i mature to a point where i look back and go oh i i get it now had god showed up then i would have completely messed it up because i wasn't ready Now, this is a beautiful part of the mercy and grace of God that he looks at us when we're not yet at the place where he wants to do something amazing in us that he still invests in us. 
That he's still saying, I'm here, come on. That he, even when we don't give him the time that he deserves, if he were the true treasure of our lives, he says, but you know what? I still, I stand here waiting and knocking. I'll wait on you. That is a God of grace and mercy. So sometimes it's you're not ready. Sometimes it's that God is working on something that you can't see yet. Sometimes God is working on other people. Any great thing we have ever done as a church has happened when God has brought multiple people to a similar place and then brought them together. Never because we read some strategy book on how to do church. People seeking God came together. Maybe the God is still working on something you can't see. Or three, it may be the time is just not right. God has bigger plans in store than even you can imagine but the time is just not right. See, God's timing is something that you and I, we just cannot understand all of his thoughts. This is where we have to come back into this place of humility. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are, are higher than our ways. We just we can't comprehend how, how incredibly uh, complex God is. But I do want you to know that God is giving you a dream to grow your faith and change the world around you. Isaiah 40, 31 says, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I believe the reason that 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 is and how this happens is when we are spending time daily in the disciplines that are not just seeking to accomplish dreams, but are just seeking to know and love God, we are constantly renewed even when God waits. Because the true treasure of our lives is that no matter what happens with this dream, I still have God. I still, I'm still walking with Jesus. And I am just, I'm, that daily, it just fills me back up. Just one practical thing to leave you with. If you are in a place of waiting right now, is that you can wait any length of time when you know who you are waiting on. I mean, guys, how many of us are married to somebody that we would sit downstairs and wait on them to come down the stairs for a date? Oh, she's not ready yet. Oh, I got to go. I'm sorry. I got too many things to do. I can't wait on you. I said no wise man ever. (laughs) You can wait any length of time when you know who you are waiting on. And if God is calling you to wait and you know that he's given you a dream, He may be developing patience within you. He will show up. But if we force ahead in front of God, it will not work out well. So let us wait well. Would you pray with me, Father? God, I know you're already sharing dreams with people in this room, and I'm so excited about hearing those and what you are doing. And God, I pray that we would not jump jump ahead of you or run where you're not at yet. If we are still developing and growing, I pray that you would give us patience to be able to wait for you. Father, I thank you for the example of those before us. I find great comfort in those that have also failed in their ability to be patient. But God, I do not want to be a person who lives my life that way. I pray that you would grow that within each of us. Not that we would be slow to act, not that we would just sit back and be lazy, but God, we would be intentionally waiting for you. 
But give us eyes to see you at work so that when you call us to action, we are ready to go. I thank you for your love. I thank you for the grace of waiting on us, of being patient with us, long-suffering when we just constantly don't get it. Father, I pray that you would continue to build us up as a community and a congregation together so that we will be so gripped by the dream to reach those outside these walls that we will see lives changed. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.